Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jim Breckbuehler. I'm the discipleship and uh, life groups guy here, and I just uh, want to welcome everybody to uh, Discover. Um, this morning, we are going to continue in our sermon series, Remembering to Breathe, and we are going to specifically focus in on finding hope, but not just hope, but overflowing hope, and dealing with anxiety in this crazy world that we live in. Studies in the U.S. and the U.K. show that anxiety and depression are rising at alarming rates. According to a report cited in the Harvard Medical School publication, the rate of uh, antidepressants use in this country alone among teens and adults have increased almost 400% between the time period of 1988 and 2008. Anxiety can be magnified by physiological conditions, and I understand that and want to be sensitive to that. For example, chemical imbalances in the brain. Um, uh, But this morning, what we are going to be talking about is more the anxiety brought on about from your current environment, maybe the environment that you grew up in, um, societal pressures. Everywhere we're talking about anxiety or anxiousness this morning, you could put in worry or worrying. Now, there are numerous theories on why there's this surge in anxiety. Uh, We know society, uh, in anxiety, there are just many things in society itself that can be causing it. Cyberbullying. When I wanted to get away from Rick and Butch, who were my two bullies, all I had to do was just go home. They couldn't follow me home on Facebook and Snapchat. So that's one of the things with our young people that they're dealing with. There's instant and graphic negative news. It comes up on your phone and you can see something terrible that has happened in a particular corner of the U.S. or the world. But the problem with that is is that that only shows you that one super tiny speck in the world but doesn't show you all the good things that are going on. Like, I figured conservatively that there are probably 2,500 county fairs that go on throughout the whole summer. And there are 4-H'ers showing their animals, and there's kids eating all this food, and then riding on rides and throwing up all the stuff that you go to the fair for. And none of that stuff gets reported because it doesn't sell. And so we got to keep in mind that the negative news is very, very pinpoint and focuses around negativity. One of the things that's cited is that our young people today have too many choices when um, you look at our college kids, they're, they're taking on mountains of debt. They have way more choices than we did when I was in school. And they're almost, instead of having that attitude, I'm going to go take on the world, they're almost playing from an, a, a position of, I don't want to mess up. And that's causing anxiety. Schools are testing a lot. Parents are pushing their kids. And you know, the thing is, the human mind and body have limits too. You would never think about taking a car and driving it pedal the metal all the way through Idaho, Utah, and on out into Nevada. You would say, hey, the the engine's going to blow. But we think for some reason that the human mind and the body can just go and go and go. It has limits. Then there's helicopter parenting. That's where little Susie or Johnny, you know, the coach says something that they don't like to the child or a bully says something or a teacher doesn't treat them just right. So the, the parents helicopter in, they rescue the child out of the situation, and then the kids grow up and they're not able to deal with conflict and stress. And then often they helicopter back in and they're the Navy SEALs and they blow up the situation for the child. 
There's political fear being generated on both sides of the aisle and across on the other side of the world. This week leading into the inauguration, it's just got a different feel about it. It's almost as if are we going to make it through the week without something bad happening. It's just, it's a different feel in the world that we live today. Schedules are crammed so full of stuff. And oftentimes, it's not necessarily even the fault of the people whose schedules are crampful. Employers are expecting more. We've taken on all this technology to make our lives easier, and it actually seems to be adding more and more because employers now expect employees to do even more. A sport that a child might have played uh, 40 years ago when I was in school that took three or four months out of the year, for example, like basketball or baseball, baseball now a child takes and plays it at school, then they play travel ball, and then they train the rest of the year. It's going from three to four months to 11 to 12 months. Four times the amount it used to be 40 years ago. <clears throat> then we have the talking heads on the radio that just, they get paid to spin bad news, and they can just make you feel like the world's caving in on you. But again, they're just talking about one little thing. And this is very important. As a country, we have walked away from godly principles. And it's taking a huge toll on the family unit as we know it. It's driving up anxiety now generation after generation. But we have to be very careful for our own good that we don't settle into this thing of, well, this is just the sign of the times. There's nothing we can do other than be anxiety-ridden. We look to the past. Our, our ancestors that went before us dealt with a lot of anxiety. They dealt with plagues, diphtheria, polio, smallpox, the Great Depression. American moms and dads have lost hundreds of thousands of sons and daughters in wars. It's hard to put a uh, an exact figure on it, but they're thinking at least over 450,000 in the Civil War, 116,000 in World War I, 405,000 in World War II. These are American casualties, 54,000 in the Korean War, and in the very controversial Vietnam War, 58,000 men and women were lost while our college campuses were on total unrest and the civil rights movement was causing violence against their leaders like Martin Luther King. The 60s, in my opinion, were a horrible time. One of the things is that today we're saying in America that our, our kids and our young adults have too many choices, and we have to remember that there are a lot of people, they don't have any choices. Tonight will not be what do they want off of a menu, but it will, will we get a meal to live through till tomorrow? There are kids that will die tonight in third world countries that if they simply had a, a routine shot or routine antibiotics or a clean well in their village would live, but there's just no resources to give that to them. And our Christian brothers and sisters in the past have experienced great anxiety due to persecution as well as those in the present. We're studying out of Philippians, and just about the time of Philippians, um, the Emperor Nero came, Nero came into office, and he started burning Christians as street lamps as part of persecution. And he used them, to, he killed them for his own entertainment. 
Today, there are Christians, keep this in mind, because we are a, 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 a country where we complain about whether the lights are up too high or down, whether the preacher preaches too long, too little, if they're on topic or whether that, that meets our need, whether the music is our style or not, all kinds of things. But there are Christian brothers and sisters who they don't even know if the person they're talking to is actually a Christian. They could be a plant who then tells the authorities, who then turns around and kills them and burns their house down as well as their families. One-third of the population of the world are Christians, but two-thirds of our Christian brothers and sisters live in areas of war, conflict, and violence. We are a very blessed people here. <clears throat> the Center for the Study of Global Christianity said that last year, 90,000 Christians were murdered for their faith around the, around the world. That's one every six minutes. And so we have to stop and say, you know what, we are a relatively blessed people here. And we need to figure out how to cope in our time in this place. And so I want this sermon to be a very positive one. I truly believe that the Apostle Paul gives us four indispensable commandments. He didn't give us advice. He was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is instructing us. He never says, hey, this some advice I'd give you. He says, this is what you need to do. These are four interdependent instructions. We need to have a right approach to life, right praying, right thinking, and right living. The scriptures point to God wanting us to have a life full of peace and hope and not fear and anxiety. Jesus certainly cared about our fears. Of the 125 commands he gave us in the Bible, 21 dealt with overcoming our fears. Over and over, Jesus encourages us not to be afraid or fear not or have courage or take heart. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear. He did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-control. And Paul's message this morning is not about being happy in horrible situations. You may be going through a, a horrible marriage time or or a, a time where you are facing some very dire health issues or problems with your children or aging parents or whatever it may be. This message isn't about ignoring them or being happy through them. It's about how to cope with them and still find joy amidst those dark times. And then also enjoying the times when you're not in a season of despair and enjoying them. And all of this we want to be able to honor God through it. We all deal with anxiety at times. It can be a season of life. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. But worry is not a state in which we live permanently. So who's writing to us this morning in Philippians? It's the Apostle Paul. He's under house arrest and has been for at least a couple years. Bible scholars tell us that he was probably chained to a Roman garden that changed every four hours. Can you imagine going to the bathroom, sleeping with somebody attached to your arm all the time? Very stressful. Five years before he wrote Philippians, roughly, he wrote to the Corinthians. This is in second chapter, 
uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I've had many imprisonment, countless beatings, been often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, his own faith, his own countrymen, the 40 lashes less one. That's 195 times that a whip pierced into the skin of Paul. Five times I received at the hands. Um, uh, then he said, three times I've been beaten. Once I've been stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. That doesn't mean that's not as long as you're drifting around, but you've got to keep in mind, if you're in the Mediterranean Sea, there's probably some really big fish down there, and you look like a big worm up at the top. And so you're probably just waiting any moment for something to come and tear your leg off. He says, on frequent journeys, I've been in danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, from false brothers. As I've toiled, I've endured many hardships. I've had many a sleepless night. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've often had no food. I've been cold, and I've been naked. And it's almost comical then in verse 28, he says, and apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. The other things would be like enough to consume me. On top of that, the scriptures tell us that he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn is. We don't know if it was a mental illness, whether it was a physical illness, if it was somebody who was constantly at Paul causing him problems, but he prayed three times that it would be taken away from him, and it was not. He said God used it to keep him humble. And on top of that, Paul doesn't know if he's going to be put to death. Within about four years, give or take, of writing the book of Philippians, church history, not the Bible, but church history tells us that Paul was beheaded. And he's writing to the Philippian church, and there's division in the church. He loves this church, and they love him, but he's dealing with the problem here. And he's also telling them how to live holy lives and thanking them for their support and that type of thing. So as far as who's writing us this morning, the Apostle Paul has a Ph.D., multiple ones, in anxiety and stress and hope. All right? So we can listen to him. So the first thing is we have to have the right approach to life if we want to reduce the anxiety in our life and get to be able to breathe again. Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. He's not saying, hey, everything's falling apart around you. Be happy about it. He's saying, rejoice in your relationship in the Lord. John 15, 14, and 15, Jesus calls us friends two times. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servant, before the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. We're friends of Jesus. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're at peace with God. We're reconciled with Him. Contrast that to the person who has rebelled against Christ, who doesn't know Him, who said, I'm not doing anything. They're in a terrifying position. The scriptures tell us that if they die, they will spend eternity in hell. There is nothing more terrifying than that. And as Christians, we tend to forget that. 
that we are friends of Jesus, that we're at peace with God. He says that the Lord is near. He's saying you, not only can you talk to him on a daily basis by the minute, but at some point in time, Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to make all things new, and we will live on the new earth. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. And that, as far as Christians are concerned, we have to focus in on that. That's our right approach to life. Paul says it great in Colossians 3.3. 3. Many of your Bibles may have the heading, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ. And he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Then he says again, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So in other words, when everything's falling apart all around you, when you're just going through the worst of times, and right now some of my closest friends at this church are going through some major trials, he's saying, keep your face on me. This may be bad, but you got to keep your face on me because that's how I'm going to help you through it. He goes on to write, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. In other words, we look forward to the day when Christ will come and everything will be made new. And that has to be our approach. That's our main focus. You and me, Jesus, regardless of what's going on around us. Our approach may not change our circumstances, but it helps keep our sanity, and it helps us honor God. So then we go to the next thing that we need to be doing. We need to have right praying. Philippians 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Beth Moore, she's a very popular speaker, she puts this in a negative uh, paraphrase, and I really love this. It's, it's kind of funny. Do not be calm about anything, but in everything, by dwelling on it constantly and feeling picked on by God with thoughts like, and this is the thanks I get, present your aggravations to everyone you know but him. And the acid in your stomach, which transcends all milk products, will cause you an ulcer, and the doctor bills will cause you a heart attack, and you will lose your mind. That's funny, but that's true. Do we not? Things go bad, and we run around and talk to everybody, and we forget to pray until the last minute. And then the doctor bills start to build up as we end up with physical ailments. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, we can pray about everything. Problems in the family, we can pray about lost keys. Right, Cheryl? I'm, I'm the one that loses them. That made it sound. She's praying for my keys, all right? So anyhow, the, work, the, word, the Greek word for anxious that we're talking about here means to be pulled in different directions. Our hope pulls us in one direction, our fears pull us in another direction, and we just feel pulled apart. The old English root from which we get our word worry means to strangle. And if you've ever really worried about something or if you're a chronic worry, you know how strangling 
worry can be. And we find here that Paul tells us that we need to do four things as we pray. The first one is we need to, uh, in every situation we approach by prayer. Now, Warren Wiersbe writes about this. He says, the word prayer in this case is the general word for making requests known to God, but it carries the idea of adoration, devotion, and worship. Whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get alone with God and worship Him. Adoration is what is needed. We must see the greatness and the majesty of God. We must realize that He is big enough to solve our problems. Too often we rush into His presence and hastily tell Him our needs when we ought to approach His throne calmly and in the deepest of reverence. So the first step in right praying is adoration. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the creator of the universe. You are the creator of the stars. You've hung the moon. You've hung the the sun. You've created the oceans. You've given me breath. You've given my family breath. Whatever it may be, but we start with praising him. The Lord's Prayer, I'll be thy name. Jesus starts right out by praising his Father in adoration. And then what follows after that is petition. Some of your Bibles may say supplication. They mean the same, but it is an earnest sharing of our needs and problems. It's a, it's a habitual type of prayer where we, we go with spiritual intensity. In other words, we avoid the Hail Mary, my back's against the wall, throw deep type of prayer. This is where we, we enter into the daily habit of prayer. We're not out for fancy words, but just wholehearted prayer with spiritual intensity. Then we follow that with thankfulness, with appreciation for who God is. Now, God tells us to do this, but every time God tells us something, gives us a commandment, always comes back as a blessing to us. Now, let me give you an example. You start to pray, you know, like, Man, I have this car repair. I have no money. I got to get my kid to school. I got to get to work, and I have no money. I don't know what I'm going to do. I just can't believe this. Lord, what are we going to do about it? But then when we mix thankfulness in, then all of a sudden it changes. All right, Lord, I'm thankful I have a car that broke down because my friend doesn't have the money to even get a car. And now that I think about it, I'm thankful for the job I've got to get to. I'm thankful for the school my kid's going to. And I'm thankful that I have a kid. And all of a sudden, we start to pray about a problem that is gigantic. And it starts to shrink when we're comparing it to others. Or our own situation. Or, and then our anxiety shrinks. Maybe you're like, Lord, th- I, you know, this health issue I've got going on. It's really bad, and I need your help. I can't handle it. And even with some severe health issues, generally speaking, we can say, you know what? This is not good, but my friend is dealing with something that's so bad. And all of a sudden, as you thank the Lord for your friend and thank you for the fact that your health issue is just limited to that particular area of your body, all of a sudden, you your problem begins to get smaller and your anxiety starts to shrink. And then it says we are to re, uh, um, present our request to God. And what that's referring to is that we give him specific 
and definite things that we want to have answered or we want wisdom on or guidance on, not just, hey, Jesus, give me a good life. We have to grow out of the, have a, let's, let me have a good day, the, the, what maybe kids pray for. So we have these four things. We're going to go in adoration with a spiritual intensity, with a thankful heart, presenting specific needs to God, and then a peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, the human mind will not be able to understand it, and no human can provide it. But that peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul understands what it's like to be guarded. Nobody came in or out without the permission of that guard. And that prayer protects our heart where we can get wrong feelings, and it protects our mind where we can have wrong thinking. Now, keep in mind, this is a peace that doesn't mean all our trials are going to go away, but it gives us a quiet confidence within that regardless of the circumstances we're in, the people we're having to deal with, or the things that are coming at us, that God will see us through. And then we're called to have right thinking, to have thoughts that are focused correctly. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I need a lot of memory enhancement for verses, for memory verses, and the one I've always used on this, uh, this is eight things for Phil to think about, all right? Eight things for Phil to think about. Are Phil McCrocklin and Phil Rogers in here? Are you guys in here? We raise your hand. Okay, every time you see Phil McCrocklin, now you can just go, hey, i got to remember that verse, okay? Because that's Phil's verse, all right? All right, so here are the things that God calls us to. First of all, he says, I want you to think about things that are true. This is anything that's the opposite of dishonest and reliable things. He wants us to think about noble things. These are things that are dignified and worthy of respect. We reject vulgar thoughts. <clears throat> He wants us to think about right things, things that are within the will of God, not things that go against it. He wants us to have pure thoughts. These are wholesome thoughts, not mixed with moral impurity. We want our thoughts to be free from sin. There's an obscure verse. We don't hear it preached on very much. I mean... I just stumbled across it one time. It's Ephesians 5.12. I would like you to listen to it. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Listen to that again. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. How far have we come from that biblical commandment? Christians, myself included, and I really work on this. We choose entertainment choices that help us release from a stressful week, and we embrace shows where everything in the show goes directly against God's will. And then the people that are in the show, then we lift them up and put them on pedestals and seek their, what they're doing in their life and their, and their, and their autographs and everything else. 
And what they're, we will say, well, that's just, that's just a show, but that shows mirror what's going on in our culture. <clears throat> this verse seems so old-fashioned, but it's just that morally our society has just come down a slippery slope of immorality. Voltaire once said, history is the only pattern of silken, it, history is only the pattern of silken slippers descending the stairs to the thunder of hobnail boots climbing upward from below. I remember that from probably 25 years ago. Bill Ru Bob Russell had it in his sermon, and he explained that sin comes in like silken slippers, and it just comes in slowly but surely. Like 40, 50 years ago, some of the stuff that we just culturally accept would have been, would have been caused gasp that back 40, 50 years ago. And it has creeped in like silken slippers. But now that's become life, and it's tearing up families. And now we're getting the hobnail boots of chaos and stress and high anxiety. It may be old-fashioned to us, but that's what the Bible calls us to, to have pure thoughts. Lovely speaks of what promotes peace rather than conflict. Admirable things refer to things positive and constructive rather than negative and destructive. And then these six objects of thought are kind of summarized in two general areas of anything that is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. And so God is calling us here to train our minds, to have our thoughts focused on Christ-centered things. So we have a right approach to life, right praying, right thinking, and then he calls us to right living. Philippians 4.9, whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put into practice. Paul is saying, hey, I'm trying to live a holy life. I'm trying to tell you what you need to do. Emulate me. And as we read the scriptures, we look at what Paul is telling us and we say, that's what I need to do. And you may be thinking, I kind of need a refresher on maybe the holy living rules. I would suggest two chapters, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. They're both easy to understand chapters and are very succinct. They cover things like getting rid of anger, rage, malice, filthy language, lying, sexual impurity, bitterness. And they talk about things about like embracing compassion and kindness and patience with each other and offering encouraging words and a very important one, forgiving others as Christ forgave us. You see, too often our anxiety is a direct result of our own decisions to go directly against God's will. We haven't lived right. We have been disobedient. And then when the ramifications roll around, our anxiety goes sky high, and we run to God asking him to get out of another jam we've gotten ourselves into. And I truly believe he will help us move forward. He may not take away the ramifications, but he expects the Christian to change. That's as biblical if there ever when he gives us the Holy Spirit to bring about change in our lives, and we grow in our holiness. If we want a life where 
anxiety is decreasing, and then we go directly against God's will and live disobedience. Disobedience. It would be like a friend who says, you know what, I'm going to live a healthy life. And you go over to his place, and he's sitting in there, and he's down to six-pack. He's got, he just chain-smoking to death. And he says, hey, I'm too tired. I've been watching TV all day. Will you go, out the hot, get, go get that steak off the grill? It's highly marbled. I can't wait to get it. And I need a vegetable. There's a potato over there. Will you just put some of that gravy all over it and then bring it to me? You'd be like, no. I don't think that's going to bring about a healthy lifestyle. A healthy lifestyle is brought about by healthy choices. And a life where our anxiety goes down and we find hope, a major part of that is that we live lives right and obedient. Debbie Crusoe is our church secretary. She's a, just a great lady. Staff loves her. She's very loved around here. She's very wise. Uh, she's often my go-to person because I, I, I just know that she will help me when I need some advice. And so a couple weeks ago in staff, we were talking about something, and Debbie talked about what she did as she went through a rough period of her life. And I would like you to listen to this interview I did with Debbie. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm here with Debbie Crusoe. Many of you know Debbie. She is our church secretary, and uh, she's also a person who's known on staff as being very wise. And a couple weeks ago, we were having a, a good conversation about uh, trials and, and how we respond to them. And when I heard Debbie talking about it, I'm like, she needs to be a part of the sermon this morning. And so um, I'm just going to ask Debbie a couple questions because her responses, I think, will fit very well with what we're, we've talked about this morning. Um, Debbie, um, just to kind of begin with, could you just kind of share a, a little bit of your testimony this morning? Um, about 14 years ago, um, my husband decided he didn't want to be married anymore. And after 30 years of marriage, it was quite a shock. Um, he left. And it, it was a time in my life where I just really had to... Um, really start searching my heart and how to handle this and I just started really thinking about who God was okay. and I believe that this wasn't a surprise to God 30 years ago when I married him it wasn't a surprise that he was going to leave me in 30 years and that was a comfort to me just knowing that God knew and I also for the very first time, I think, just really, really felt God's love for me. I just felt an overwhelmingly love for God. Hmm. And um, just having that faith in Him and knowing who He was and knowing that He knew who I was. He knew what kind of wife I was and mother. And I just felt like He was going to take care of me. Okay. Now, the, the thing that you said that day that really stuck out, you said something to the effect that I had to decide uh, what I believed and basically how I was going to respond to it that, that in the face of all these trials, I needed to do exactly what I was called to do. Will you kind of expand on that a little bit and share what you meant by that? Well, it came to a point where I had to do some things. I had to stop and think, okay, 
do I believe that God is who he really says he is and that I've believed all these years, do I really believe that? And the answer was yes, I do. And then um, I just had to start thinking, okay, who is God? Um, he's my father, he's my husband, he's my savior, he's, he's everything. And I just knew that if I just kept that in perspective, that I would be okay. Mm -hmm. And then another thing I had to do was take my thoughts captive because it was a very fearful time in my life. I'd been a homemaker, mom for 30 years. That's what I loved doing and I knew I'd probably have to work and probably have to, there was just everything in my life completely changed, mm -hmm. everything, every part of it. And um, so I just had to take my thoughts captive and not think, oh, what if, or, you know, and just go that route. I just decided, God, control my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that really, really helped me. Mm -hmm. And then another thing I did was take one day at a time and claim Bible verses that really helped. Like in Exodus 14, 14, says that God will <clears throat> take care of us. He'll fight the battle. We just have to be still. Yeah. And I tried to quote those type of scriptures. And that really helped me. Okay. Um, to someone who, right now, they might be waiting on test results, um, maybe going through some big issues right now themselves, uh, maybe their health, marriage, um, trials with children, trials at work, what advice might you give them right now? I think, first of all, you just have to decide, do I really believe that nothing's impossible with God? Do I really believe that nothing's too hard for Him? Do I really believe that He loves me and that He's in the situation, even though it's a terrible situation? Is He there? Does He care? When you answer those questions um, and you answer them in the positive, I think that really helps. Mm -hmm. And if you learn to take one day at a time, because otherwise it gets, becomes very overwhelming. Yeah. If you look at the whole picture, you're very overwhelmed. You just have to take one day at a time. Yeah. I didn't tell you this question ahead of time, but I'm sure there were days probably when you found it pretty hard to pray, right? Yes. And on those days, how, how did you handle those days when you're like, I don't even know what to pray for today? Um, I basically had a very good support system, and I could call. Uh, my mom was great. Bless her heart. She was just... Uh, we became very close through that time, and she was like my best friend and really helped me. She's a very spiritual woman, and that really helped me. Um, and I think also, I think for the first time in my life also that I sobbed harder than I've ever sobbed in my life, to the point where I didn't think I could breathe. Mm. And I think just letting that out and just knowing that I'm not weak because I sobbed or I cried, but um, you know, I'm that's just the human part of it and that's the outlet of it. So I guess don't beat yourself up. Just when you fall, get back up and just take a day at a time. Thanks, Debbie. She usually sits over there, but we really appreciate those wise words. We just want to conclude today with this verse uh, that should be coming up right now, Romans 15, 13. Um, in the not-too-distant past, uh, there just seemed to be a lot of negatives in, in our lives, in our family's life, and just, just things. And 
And one morning I was just kind of rooting around for a verse on hope. And I ran across this verse, Romans 15, 13. And it has become a, kind of a rock verse for me. It's one of my favorites. And I just love this verse. It's Paul's prayer for us. He says, may the God of hope, he's already called him the God of peace. Now he's saying, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, not just a little, but all joy and peace as you trust in him. And see, that's the critical part. You have to trust in him. And that involves three things, really. It means you have to commit your life to Christ. You have to make him the Lord of your life. It means that when everything down here is so bad that, like Debbie says, you, you go to him with it. He becomes your sustainer. You just pick it up and say, Lord, I can't handle this anymore. You take it. That's part of trust. And trust also involves obedience. We live obediently to him. And we do those things. The God of hope will fill us all with joy and peace as we trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Overflow. That's so cool, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope that verse will kind of resonate with you. Maybe it'll be a help to you at some point. That We're going to go into communion right now. And I would say to the person who has not made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have not trusted him to be your Savior, this morning can be that time. If you believe that Jesus is who he is, God's son, you can confess it with your mouth. You can have your sins washed away in baptism. You can receive the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in you that will then bring about that overflowing hope. And I'll be sitting right down here. If you want to come up and talk, Steve's over here. We would love for you to just come up and say, hey, I'm ready to make a commitment, whether it's this morning or in a few weeks. But maybe you are a Christian this morning and you realize that, man, I just have not been trusting. I've been letting anxiety eat me up. Then this is a great time to remember that relationship we have because Jesus went to the cross and took all our penalties for us. What a great feeling to know that we are at peace with God. We are friends of Jesus and recommit our lives to just trusting him. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now. You are a great and awesome God. Forgive us when we fail to do that, when we rush into prayer and come to you with just our list of stuff that we want you to do. You are truly the maker of everything, the creator of the universe. You gave us your son, Jesus. You gave us the opportunity to avoid our own punishment and then he took that punishment for us. I would just pray corporately that this church will be a church that commits itself to prayer, right living, right thinking. Help us to grow as a church body, to honor you. We know there are a lot of people right now in this congregation, Lord, that are going through some really tough times. And I would just pray that we will be able to come around each other, lift each other up in prayer, love on each other, 
that those that are going through these hard times will be able to know that you are their sustainer, that they will draw their strength from you, not from other people. Granted, we can help, but you will be the one that will carry them. We love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.